Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 273 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Today you are joining us for a hot topic, are you over-restricting on keto? Plus we'll be spending a little bit of time debunking some common keto myths that have come up. Uh, This podcast idea came up during our recent Next Level Keto program when probably a good like 30% or so of the class. Maybe half. Yeah, maybe more. Yeah. um, (laughs) Had this realization, you know, after the first two classes, we do a a weekly survey and, and, you know, really keep a tight touch base with them. Had the realization that they were being too restrictive with their keto approach. And over the course of that six weeks, a lot of them who loosened up actually saw, you know, improved hormone balance. Maybe their cycle lengthened out by a couple of days or the hair loss that they've been experiencing for months all of a sudden slowed down or stopped. And some even saw, you know, weight loss with less restriction instead of more. Yes. So I think often I love using the word myopic, um, this concept of like tunnel vision or getting closed minded or very singly focused. And often we get really myopic in the world of keto. And I talk about this a lot in the world of like yes and no food lists or what amount of hours you're fasting. And you end up at times white knuckling or over muscling, if you will, the signs and feedback of your body. And we have to be evolving constantly with our stressors, with seasons, even seasons of the year, uh, thinking of dynamics in hormones as well as exercise trends and so much more. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about sometimes how less is more. And when you release that grasp, sometimes your body has more favorable response. And of course, there's everyone listening at all ends of a continuum of their journey. And we'll be going through phases and also carb control and getting into nutritional ketosis. So if you're listening to this because you've liberated too much and you need a reset, there still is going to be some gold nuggets for you as well. Yes, totally. Especially with the timeliness of this episode airing as our first episode in January of 2022. Yes. Um, Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. (laughs) Um, In terms of of updates, let's just get into... um, Updates on our our 10-day detox, which is starting today, actually. So you still have time. If you're listening to this live when this episode airs, you can still join for tonight's class at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, So what we're doing right now, Allie and I have kicked off, by the time this episode airs, our our detox is happening today yep. in real life. Um, and we are doing a live detox program that includes two live Zoom classes over the 10-day detox. So the first one today, the third to kind of kick you off, get you in. Um, and then the last one on the 10th to kind of wrap things up, close things out. And some people are going to start on their own timeline as well. Of course. So we have some starting Wednesday, some starting Friday, just based on social calendar schedules, timeliness of of getting the detox 
who will be sending out the recording for those of you who purchase. So, you know, you can purchase now, even if you know you can't start until maybe the holiday weekend of Martin Luther King weekend or something like that coming up in a couple weeks. And um, that would work still really well because you will get access to the recordings and everyone who purchases gets our most updated protocol of the 10 day detox ebook, which is valued at $10. Uh, We're going to have community chat forum access live starting. uh, We started actually a couple days ago if you joined, but that was from the first all the way through the 15th. So if you have questions on recipes or have an egg sensitivity or want to swap something out or want to know what the best type of movement is or troubleshoot detox oriented symptoms or just share for accountability your meals that you're eating we will have that happening over at slack and so that's already live and revving and going and um, our detox for becky and i at least starts today on the third and goes through the 12th but again this content is all going to be inclusive of social sharing um, adjusting questions motivation with food as medicine mixing up beyond the protocol and um, just reaffirming our progress and also sharing successes as well as struggles throughout the timeline. Um, So again, two live classes, our most updated protocol and community chat forum. And what's the price point on it, Becky, in case people haven't purchased yet? $14.99. For just $14.99. So you can go on over to AllieMillerRD.com. It's quite a long URL. We will link it in the show notes. But if you search live detox program on the website, it will come up. And we are excited for y'all to join. This was a question when I asked, you know, what kind of programs you want me to offer in 22. This was a big ask. So we're hoping for a really large group of you and that this will be a great inspirational leap into a successful new year. Yes. And um, if you are joining us for that, or even if you're not and you just want to stock up on some detox packs and do a detox on your own time, um, we are offering through this Friday, um, 20% off our detox packs with the code detox2022. And remember, there's enough packs in that box to do two detoxes, either yourself or to split them with a friend or with your husband and get him on in it too. Um, so Absolutely. go on over, um, pick both of those up. It's actually at the top little header bar of our website too, to remind you. So you can find all of that information right there. Awesome. And then if you're listening to this archived, again, you can purchase for $14.99 that program all the way through the end end of uh, this week. But really, we'll probably pull that product because this live Slack channel Mm -hmm. is only getting the support through the 15th. Um, So this is kind of a timely offering. But if you're listening to this late, you can still take advantage of our next offering, which is our 12-week ketosis food as medicine meal plan and this is going to be three months of weekly meal plans including grocery list a weekly challenge uh, five to seven novel recipes as well as some simple production items and it comes down to three dollars and 75 bucks a week so this is $45 for the entire three months but we have an early bird sale that starts today and goes 20% off so for just $36, you can take advantage of this entire three-week meal plan. Um, so we hope you'll join us over there. That is going to be a really 
great way to stay with seasonal diversity. Um, what are some of the things? I mean, we were honestly, when Becky and I were looking at the layout, we were like, this is a lot of food. This it is, sure is probably more food than we eat on most <laughs> days. We do incorporate fasts about three of the days of the week. Um, otherwise, you're getting a breakfast, a lunch, a dinner, and a snack. Um, so, you know, you want to look at each week, and this is assuming that there's maybe children in the household mm-hmm. or, of course, a partner or roommate, spouse, you name it. And um, we have such fun offerings like our sweet potato pork hash with fried egg, uh, chocolate zucchini muffins with bacon. Uh, We have salmon cakes with sour cream and dill, bone broth with poached protein and zucchini noodles, avocado breakfast pudding, just to name some of the breakfast meals. And then um, we have a whole myriad of protein shakes in there. We have a bunch of fun salads like a burrata tomato salad with champagne vinegar and extra virgin olive oil, fennel, green apple slaw with hazelnuts, manchego, and protein of choice. Um, Just really fun foodie stuff that we've been enjoying in our households. And we are in the current depths of development as we're speaking with you and just having a blast putting it together. Uh, We have weekly challenges from anywhere of like increasing your antioxidant status or intake, as well as completing a bone broth fast, boosting your microbiome, exploring metabolic flexibility, and so much more. So we're excited to offer you guys this. This will be evergreen, so this is not kind of timely, but the timeliness of it is the uh, sale that you can get for early bird saving 20% off for $36 instead of the standard price of $45. And the way it works is when you purchase it, um, that fall, I think that you'll get the first week at the time of purchase. Um, if you're pre-purchasing it, the first week is going to come out that Friday. Is that the 21st? The 21st. Say? The 21st yeah. of January is the first Friday. And we'll plan to release them on Fridays because then you can do your grocery shopping over the weekend. And that's basically your following week's meal plan. Yes. Um, I'm not sure going forward from there, the trickle effect of, I think they're just going to get released at the time of purchase week one and then just seven days out. Yeah. And you'll just have that's to work your will. timeline of your calendar from there. That's how it will work. <laughs> yes. All right. And then last but certainly not least, um, we are doing another retreat. Yeah. Well, our first retreat, actually, like an, another workshop Another workshop ish, first a real retreat. Real, real retreat. So uh, this is going to be March 25th through the 27th. And this is in Dripping Springs, Texas. And we are going to be. Becky and I, along with 30 like-minded wellness warriors, two nights, all-inclusive, workshops, lectures, movement, meals. We're doing an off-site tour at an olive oil farm and uh, really fabulous luxury accommodations. This is a 9,000 square foot home. It looks like Real Housewives of Dripping Springs. Who knows? Yeah, it does. Um, (laughs) And uh, we're going to do a two-hour cooking class on Saturday evening. We're breaking things off on Friday with welcoming and Texas barbecue and bluegrass. Uh, I'll be doing over six hours of lecture throughout here. We will have intimate group breakouts where we will expand and grow in our food as medicine passion and maintain, again, that fortitude of strength in times of opposition. Every day we're going to offer a matcha coffee, tea, and bone broth bar, uh, food as medicine workshop where you're doing interactive recipe development and such. And we will have an even more fabulous swag bag than we had for the workshop. So we can't wait for you all to join. Really limited space here. And we're sure it's going to sell out. Um, Go on over to AllieMillerRD.com and search Women's Wellness Retreat. And at this time of hearing this, you'll be able to put down a $250 deposit 
the deposit is going to um, be credited for $500. So you get like an early bird $250 voucher with your deposit. And then whatever room you book, so there's options for single beds in like a bunk style room of like eight single beds. Um, and then there are king beds that you might decide to buddy up with a roommate or bring your bestie and select or a private room. Um, so there's going to be sliding scales of price points depending on that. And that all ranges from $1,500 to $2,000 depending on your accommodations that you select. But either way, when you put the $250 deposit down, which is non-refundable, it locks you in for the weekend, but that also gives you a $250 voucher. So you have a $500 credit towards whatever accommodations you select. Yes, super, super excited yes. for that. And yeah, we're going to be there and it's just going to be vibes, 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 I'm sure. <laughs> it's going to be a great time. Yes. So if you missed out on the women's wellness workshop, it's going to be that like times, you know, a multiple lot. Yeah. thousands. Yes. Um, and last but not least, before we get into today's content, let's just have a quick word from our opening sponsor for this episode, Santa Cruz Medicinals. Yes. Y'all know that we are fans of CBD or cannabidiol as a way to maintain your mellow, especially as we're kicking off the new year and managing all the things, getting the kids back to school and all of the moving pieces back in order after maybe a holiday lull or more holiday chaos. Uh, CBD can aid in stability of mental health, aiding in reducing anxiety, um, and also reducing pain and supporting healthy neurological response. So this is a great tool to use in your morning coffee as a tincture to mitigate the adrenaline surge of your coffee or as a tool to aid in sleep and relaxation as well as midday to offset the hustle and reduce that chronic stress response. Uh, the people at Santa Cruz Medicinal are so cool that they third-party test all of their products for both potency and toxicity, which is why we believe in what they make. And um, potency is really important to note. You know, they really recommend playing with 100 milligrams daily. A lot of the products out there are like less than 10 milligrams, um, and a lot of it is just kind of sexy sales, good packaging, but you're not getting a potent dosage that's going to have an influence on your endocannabinoid system, and that's what you're looking at engaging with. Every human body is wired with an endocannabinoid system. And so your body makes cannabidiol or CBD, but often the production gets burned out. So by taking CBD, you're really fueling and nourishing that system. And that helps to regulate your neurological system. So they set a challenge of 100 milligrams daily. This could be split at like maybe 33 in the morning and a full tincture in your coffee. And then maybe doing one of their 50 milligram deep sleep caps. And then maybe another 20 somewhere in their midday before car pool line or something like that. Uh, great way to support your body. And they have great blends beyond their pure CBD, which is in um, coconut. I love that it gets that natural pink hue, which shows that it's very non-processed and has all of those phyto compounds. Um, but they also have some formulated capsules and even topicals. So there are pain salves, um, which are fabulous, very clean, no phthalates, preservatives, SLS, or coloring or fragrance, um, but fabulous pain solve to use on sore muscles or in 
injury areas, Epsom salt infusions, which are great like before menstrual cycle or after a big workout, um, including lemon balm in there. And um, they also have their deep sleep caps, which include valerian and L-theanine with, again, a potent 50 milligrams of CBD per capsule. So go on over to scmedicinals.com, use the code AllieMillerRD, and you will save 15% on your order and get free shipping. Again, that's scmedicinals.com. Use the code Allie Miller RD. All right, so whew, on to all of today's that. so many announcements. Um, yes. On to today's topic. So um, we have a couple of past episodes that I will go ahead and link in the show notes that are relevant to today, and I'm sure we'll include more as we're talking. But episode 47, actually, like way, way, way back, yeah. um, was on the top keto pitfalls, and you know, over restricting is definitely one of those pitfalls. So we covered it a little bit in there. Um, we also had episode 130 with Diane San, uh, Sanfilippo, um, and we did debunking the top keto myths with her. Right, so about three about, years out yeah. oh, from that one, or yeah. two at least, two <laughs> right? and a half. Uh, and then 187 was top keto fails and how to recover from them. Yeah. So it's been a little it while. <laughs> uh, we have, I, I was going to say hundreds, but I was going to say at least 20 plus episodes on keto in many different capacities. And this last year we've done a lot on keto and immune and, and things like that. But uh, I think we did a most recent, have we done an update on carb cycling or any of those topics? I think it's been quite a while. It's been a, a lot of that's been going on the YouTube channel. So it'll be a great conversation today here on the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Yes. Lots so- of ground. Um, jumping right in, I think, you know, the fact that keto has to be this really restrictive thing can be a myth, um, but it's one that's kind of a double-edged sword, right? It's like you can't eat a ton of fat and have zero regard for caloric intake and expect to lose weight if weight loss is your goal, right? Yeah, I think that that's an interesting myth, you know, that I'll hear from newbies of the sense of like, oh, I'm doing keto, but I somehow gained weight. Right. It's like, well, you're eating 3,000 calories. Yeah. You're starting your day with a fat-fueled coffee and you're putting five to six tablespoons of fat in there. <laughs> yeah, man, you're going to be taking in about 700 plus calories right there. Uh, so we do have to be mindful. The idea with nutritional ketosis is, of course, restricting carbohydrates so that the body can convert from its primary fuel source of glucose into producing ketones. And ketones are only made through a fasted state, which means no food consumption at all, generally speaking, or through tight carbohydrate restriction. And often it does require a higher fat diet at the time of tight carb restriction. And that generally means then moderate protein intake. Um, we've talked about on past episodes when we're talking about doing ketosis for neurological health, like epilepsy, there's that classic four to one balance of really keeping four times the amount of fat to carb and protein. And that is not what we're generally using in our clinical practice for metabolic health or for weight loss or body composition change. That's really making a deep therapeutic level of nutritional ketones to prevent seizure activity in the brain. And also in that population, there is solid research on exogenous ketones. And we are in that sense, almost chasing fat. Sure. 
But aside from that small targeted population, um, we really aren't going to be chasing fat with an optimal ketogenic diet for the goals that most people do nutritional ketosis. And the idea that fat is somewhat self-limiting, I think is how people trip up on not quote unquote doing keto right. Like if they do a keto calculator and they're told they need 300 grams of fat a day and they're not able to meet that metric. Well, yeah, like I get really disgusted with consuming more than 150 grams of fat Mm -hmm. a day. Like it can be easy, some sense to get up there, but also it's a lot of work. And for someone who hasn't done like a fat bomb or a concentrate of fat other than licking olive oil with salt on a plate for quite some time, um, you know, I find fat to be very self-limiting because it feels heavy it's, you know, thick. And again, I'm not opposed to saturated fat, but I just think of it as kind of like thick and not as desirable. Whereas I'm more of a go for the protein kind of gal. Um, but there is, you know, different ranges of what is restriction and the fact that calories matter, uh, because you do have to be in a deficit regardless of just making ketones to see weight loss, right? So you can make ketones and um, you cannot lose weight or you can make ketones and get all the benefits of metabolic health and weight loss. And that requires, yes, some restriction and some mindfulness in distributing your macros. Totally. Um, and then at the same time, you know, a lot of the clients that come to us aren't necessarily looking for big weight loss. It might be that last 10 pounds that they've been hanging on to and and really they're looking more for hormone balance or mental clarity or you know coming to keto for other reasons right. um, anti-anxiety and, dry, right. diet drove them there and they're looking to reduce the oxidative stress in their brain sure yeah, yeah. And, and so typically these are more the cases that we're talking about where we see that over restriction um so let's maybe first just cover some of the signs and and symptoms here of over restricting in keto and and i think it breaks down into kind of like behavioral emotional and then more physical so let's do behavioral first yeah so i think one of the first ones is if you are getting neurotic so you're obsessing about the carb grams in your celery or you're getting afraid of vegetables if you're clock watching your fast or at any time of the day you're white knuckling where you're experiencing hunger and you're telling your body, no, it's not time or this is against the rules mm-hmm. or the protocol that I'm committed to. Um, if you are finding yourself in a guilt-shame cycle of maybe over-restriction, over-compensation, like having a lot of frequent cheat days, then that means that there's probably, if you're going through binging, then that means that there's also an area of too restrictive of eating. So finding more harmony and balance with your diet would be much more appropriate than that dynamic because ultimately that's going to be a stressor on the body and not support optimal wellness. Uh, If we are obsessing about tracking and our numbers, if we're experiencing disordered eating patterns, if we're avoiding social situations because we don't feel like we have control of our intake there. And I think really the big thing when I talk about like white knuckling or over restricting is just that you're not listening to your body. So maybe your body is having physiological signs of hunger. And again, you're you're dumbing it down or silencing it or not responding appropriately. Yeah. Yep. And then, you know, the listening to your body, I think, comes out in a physical sense too. And and kind of the one of the more common ones I think of is hair loss. Um, yeah. So, you know, maybe we've been tight keto for three months and all of a sudden hair is falling out in clumps. And that's just a really good 
indicator that something is off in your diet. Um, oftentimes we go to protein first as, as yes. kind of the first pillar there. Um, Usually but, fat doesn't rebound hair, right, to be right. honest. <laughs> Eating protein, more fat per Protein se. makes yeah. hair. Yeah. Um, but it can also just be a sign that um, you're over-restricting in general in yes. terms of your caloric intake and the body's like, oh, she doesn't need you're that pretty hair on her head. Um, she needs to survive, right? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, we can see excessive fatigue. We can see thyroid dysfunction. So all of a sudden, uh, thyroid levels are getting elevated or over-suppressed. Either way of the spectrum, we can see. Um, we can see uh, loss of our menstrual cycle or shortening in our menstrual cycle or irregular breakthrough bleeding. We can see headaches or migraines, brain fog, loss of focus or clarity, like where you had that keto high and all of a sudden you're like, Ugh, mm-hmm. and feeling really foggy. Uh, we can see dynamic mood swings as far as irritability, anxiety, feeling wired or keyed up insomnia and we can see also uh, heart palpitations as well as an unhealthy percent body fat which can you know drive all of those things as well totally um and and we've talked before you know about how keto itself is a stressor to the body um so let's maybe just cover that aspect briefly because i think it's important to note that you know super restrictive keto isn't going to work well in like every season of life, especially if you've just taken on a new job or you're going through a divorce, like that might be a really good time to liberalize a little bit and give yourself a little bit of grace. Yes. And again, often, and we'll kind of hit on this as we're saying liberalize and maybe eat more. It doesn't always come in the forms of breaking out of nutritional ketosis and necessarily just going back on a standard diet or a paleo diet. We're really thinking more in like the food frequency and calorie intake, most as the first level of liberating or or less restricting on the intake and then playing with macros. Like again, maybe leading with more protein. Um, And then we definitely do play with metabolic flexibility and carb mode. But um, when I think of this idea of keto as a stress, we have to think of that concept of allostatic load. And so, you know, ketones do cross the blood-brain barrier. So when you're producing ketones, again, you have to be in a carb-restricted state or a time-restricted state to be producing ketones. And ketones do have a metabolic influence, and that's what's unique to nutritional ketosis beyond calorie restriction, right? If you're just restricting calories, you don't have anything being manufactured in your body that's unique. Nothing is coming across the blood-brain barrier. You can't test the presence of production of weight loss. You can test, though, the presence of BHB, beta-hydroxybutyrate, and the metabolites of that in, in your urine or your breath and so forth. So when we're making ketones, ketones do have therapeutic effects on the body. Um, and in that mechanism of therapeutic effects, they influence our HPA axis. So ketones cross the blood-brain barrier where they dock with the hypothalamus. And this is the H of the HPA axis, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal. And so by docking to the hypothalamus, there is a hormetic influence on how our parasympathetic and sympathetic regulation system of fight or flight is influenced. So that in itself is quite dynamic. Um, And we have to think about when we're looking at stressors that just like lifting a weight or just like doing intermittent sauna or fasting, there is a sweet spot of where that hormetic stressor yields absolute 
non-debatable beneficial therapeutic outcomes for the human body. And then there's also breaking over that threshold where it starts to create stress or imbalance in the body. And that's kind of the point of of this concept of ketones as a stressor. Um, So much research, as we've discussed again in past episodes on the presence of ketones on immunological regulation and T cell formation, huge benefits there and necessitating the therapeutic or at least trace levels of ketones to do that work. On the anti-anxiety approach, when we think of that ketone body crossing the blood-brain barrier, we know that that has an influence and the gabernogenic Uh, expression or aiding in that inhibitory neurotransmitter of GABA. And that's a therapeutic effect that you can't achieve without nutritional ketosis. So again, I just want to be clear, you know, we're not hating on keto. We're just saying that just like lifting weights, you need to lift your weights for your muscle mass, but you don't want to lift your weights for 20 hours a day and tear up your muscle. Sure. It's kind of the big picture there. (laughs) Yep. And then, you know, you've got to consider the burden of like, what other stressors am I putting on at the same time? And, and, you know, there's an idea that there are stressors we take on, like from our external environment, but there's also internal stressors that can be going on kind of, you know, in the body as well. Yes. So if we're thinking of the common stressors that people who are in ketosis take on, I think intermittent fasting is one. So it's, you know, the question of what type of fasting you're doing. Um, We find often in individuals that are of of that lower percent body fat or at that last five, 10 pounds of weight loss, that if they are under eating or calorie restricting and they're time restricted eating, doing the intermittent fasting, that they may be running low leptin. So they may be an individual that works really well doing a fat fast, giving their body fat as fuel directly in the morning to make ketones out of and get that leptin satiety because they don't have that leptin liberation from body fat purge or loss as much as someone who, for instance, has 50 pounds of weight on the scale to lose. So looking at fasting and calorie restriction are two things that we want to be mindful of. We want to think of those stressors that are endogenous or inside our body, such as like candida overgrowth or dysbiosis, or if we just battle the pathogen like COVID and we're dealing with recovery. Um, So viral, bacterial, that whole world could be endogenous stressors as could could toxins. So if we have mold in the household, that's technically exogenous stressor, but it's endogenous Mm -hmm. because your body still has to process it. And then other exogenous or outside stressors could be, again, changes in your workout, fasting, cryotherapy or cold temperature plunging, um, and uh, anything that we're physiologically taking on, like running for a marathon or dynamic training. And then there's, of course, the mental and emotional areas, which include cognitive demand, if taking on a new job, interpersonal relationship changes, divorce, um, disconnect from our purpose. So even just feeling like we're not pleased with our trajectory of our career All of these stressors do accumulate. And so the amount of lever of your foot on the gas pedal of how deep you're going into ketosis is going to require reflection of those various areas of stressors and you need to kind of calibrate that dial appropriately. Totally. And it's not to say like if you've got a lot of stressors, you know, in your life that you can't do keto, but you might need to find something, you know, that you can apply to balance out the stressors or something you can also you know we talk about like in a wardrobe like taking something out before you put yes. something in. yes right so like if you're committed to um you know wanting to be into a pretty moderate to aggressive level of ketones and you feel like 
the calories and the timing isn't something to adjust. Maybe it's that you're adjusting by upping your dosage of Calm and Clear, which we've seen Mm -hmm. time and time again on a CGM to be very successful at regulating that stress response of glucose management. Um, We might be bringing in adaptogens. I mean, shoot, the whole stress manager bundle would be very appropriate with the GABA Calm, the adaptogen boost, and Calm and Clear as ways to really um, surround the body in that safeness, that safe space so that it doesn't feel that chronic fight or flight stress. And that in itself tonifies the HPA axis. And then you can just get the benefits of nutritional ketosis. You might build in prayer or meditation. You might build in a sleep ritual or routine or cutting off screen time. Um, and of course, then the maybe most obvious of this episode is maybe eating more calories. So maybe adjusting your protocol that you're still making tight ketones but you're not also restricting in a calorie mode. Totally. And then I also think carb cycling can be, you know, a really fantastic recommendation. And and oftentimes it's something that drives a little bit of fear yes. um, in those individuals who tend to be type A, a little more neurotic if, you know, yes. if I'm one myself. Um, yeah, I mean, I could raise my hand right, there. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and, and I bet like the first couple of times you carb cycled, you were like, I can't get to 60 grams of carbs. Like it's yes. hard to do, especially when you're first breaking out. But that would be a big recommendation for these individuals. We've covered carb cycling pretty at length in, in several episodes. And we actually just put out a great um, YouTube video that I'll link as well. But Super thorough. In yeah. the YouTube video, we talk about, you know, especially for women that are menstruating, the follicular and luteal uh, cycle timestamps and how leptin as a hormone fluctuates. And really when we're talking about carb cycling, it's really nerding out on the concept of leptin because as I mentioned earlier, in those individuals that have a lower percent body fat and are of, and they don't have to be clinically low body fat. I just mean like under 25% even. Sure. So you yeah, know, like yeah. a moderate to low percent body fat. They don't have to be 18 and under. Um, but when we're talking about not having a lot of body fat reserves and we're talking about not eating a lot of fat in the diet, um, that's where we can get into a stress threshold where leptin levels reduce. And leptin is that satiety hormone. And so, you know, leptin tells the body that it's safe and that it's nourished or fed. When leptin levels drop too low, that's when we can start to see an influx of that fight or flight pathway surge. So we can get more anxiety, we can get insomnia, we can start dealing with like shakiness or hunger or irritability. And that's the body saying, hey, I don't feel balanced. I don't feel nourished and I'm not sure when I'm going to get my next meal. Um, And so that's that sign again that that's not the time to white knuckle and double down. That's the time to probably liberate. And um, leptin is really a driver of importance when we're looking at who needs to liberate. Um, And we can even look at fasting insulin levels. When fasting insulin levels drop below three, um, you know, dependent on the individual, but often if we're getting into even the four, three world, we're probably also dealing with too low of leptin. So we nerd out on all of the hormone elements, how we carb cycle in a day and carb cycle details on the YouTube video. I think it's called carb cycling or why we carb cycle, Um, carb cycling on keto, but it'll be linked in the show notes. And, um, you can also subscribe to the naturally nourished YouTube channel. And then in there you can search under carb cycle and it'll come up. Um, and then we have an episode 146, Keto as a Hormetic Stressor, and all about leptin, and that covers a lot of the more up-to-date literature. But again, the big concept is that leptin is what we attribute a lot of the keto high to. We often see leptin resistance uh, tied to insulin resistance. So of individuals that have excessive body fat, 
as they go nutritional ketosis, they start to metabolize that body fat as fuel to produce ketones, and they start to get more leptin sensitivity. More leptin actually docks in their brain during that time, and that plays a huge role with like this idea of like, what's food? I have no hunger. I'm so satiated because leptin, again, gives the body that safety and satiety signal. So we can see from leptin resistance to leptin sensitivity and optimized leptin, and that's what I attribute for really all body types, the keto high, but from prolonged nutritional ketosis, if we are keeping our insulin levels low because we're not stimulating insulin with our glucose, um, we're not stimulating insulin with our carbohydrate intake, right, which break carbs break down into glucose, if we are keeping our insulin levels very low and stabilizing our glucose levels, which is often optimal, um, in some individuals, just eating the fat doesn't provide enough of that leptin surge, especially if they're burning through leptin from stress, restriction, and um, fight or flight influence. And so these individuals, again, that we typically see all of a sudden seeing imbalanced symptoms require not just having enough fat and doing that fat-fueled fast, but they also would require carb cycling because when they have a focused amount of carbohydrates, um, often we're looking at about 60 to 75 grams of carbs in that day, or I often will say 50 grams of carbs over your baseline. Mm -hmm. So if you're eating at 30 grams of carbs, that might be 80 grams of carbs a day, for instance. Um, When you do that carb up, you're actually looking to make an insulin peak And leptin itself is insulinogenic, or it requires an insulin signal to produce. Uh, And so for many individuals that are, again, of this higher stress, you know, just looking at that couple less pounds, carb cycling can be a great way that their body refills its leptin tank, it gets that satiation, and doing it just maybe twice a month can be a very balanced way to still live in a state of nutritional ketosis, yet maintain that balance and not get into that over-restricted, imbalanced state. Yes. And I think a big aha for like several in the class was, hey, don't take your berberine when you carb cycle, right? Because you want that glucose surge and you want that insulin surge that's going to follow it to actually get leptin up. So really important tool. Um, Other times, you know, when you're not carb cycling, but skip the berberine when you're doing the carb cycle, you want that to happen. Yes. And I think another aha was, you know, what level of metabolic flexibility everyone really Mm -hmm. has. So when I think of like my old school keto approach, because goodness, it's been now, uh, what year are we in? We're in 22. So I feel like eight plus years, seven plus years uh, about time. Yeah. Because Stella's going to be six this year. Wow. Yeah. Um, but you know, I remember going tight into nutritional ketosis and even all the way through like Stella being probably age two is when I really started to liberate and play with more metabolic flexibility. And I remember being in grocery stores with her and I would always give her an apple to sit like in the front of the cart when I would grocery shop. And I would like bite that first piece of apple to hand her the apple. And like, I had such a not shame, guilt, but I guess some element of like, I couldn't even have that bite of apple. Like, oh, this is a carb. Yeah. Yeah. So I would like take that bite and then like, like discreetly like ball it up and like put it somewhere. And I'm like, what a freak I was. (laughs) It's just so funny reflecting on that. And like knowing that absolutely, even if I was wearing a CGM or anything, 
that that would not have influenced my ketone production to have that one bite of apple. But again, that's that myopic brain of like good, bad, no, yes. Um, And when we find a continuum within food as medicine is I think where most people thrive. And that's how we've been primed to be adaptive of times of scarcity, times of abundance, and all of that's really important. And I think being a hormetic stressor on your body, like carb cycling itself, that being a dynamic is also a hormetic stressor, which then helps your body to go deeper into ketosis post-carb cycling. Totally. Yeah. I remember the days where we like didn't have berries in the house. And now right. with Noah, we're like apples, berries, bananas, like whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> whatever is in season in addition to those staples. And, you know, I get to eat like a couple of berries that he doesn't want to eat at right. least. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And so you can refer to that YouTube video. We actually show you even like the portions of a carb cycling versus a, a non-carb cycling day, you know, in an example. So super helpful. Um, but let's say, you know, we've added on carb cycling for a couple of months, but we're still having imbalance. I think one of the next areas that I would look into um, would be how are you fasting, right? Yeah. So are you doing, you know, a pure fast and maybe it's time to step it up and bring in some fat or what would you recommend in that department? Yeah. I mean, usually if we're, again, it depends on what the primary symptoms are, but if you're dealing with hunger and, um, we are seeing like a stall or we're seeing more of the hormone areas of imbalance, I think of adding fat. Um, so changing to a fat fast and you might try that pre-carb cycling, you could play with either or, you know, whatever sounds more appealing to you because you want to enjoy your life and your foods that you consume. Um, But if it's someone that's dealing with like the hair loss or gut drama, I would probably go for more of like a protein fast. Uh, So where we're adding in um, collagen and gelatin and maybe even a little bit of grass-fed whey and blending more of like a latte. So maybe we're using a little bit of heavy whipping cream or coconut milk in our morning beverage. Um, Or we could even add and do a bone broth in the morning before we do green tea, for instance. Um, It again would depend on doing need to pack calories and nutrients or just nutrients. Um, so that would kind of be the strategy based on the individual need. And we have a great YouTube video on that as well. Um, three types of fasting and figuring out what's best for me. So we kind of walk through the um, kind of typecasts of who would work best with what. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, for this individual too, if you're suspecting that your fast is too much or you're going through a really stressful time, you might consider dropping the fast or you might yeah. consider reducing to like 12 to 14 hours and only doing it three days a week when you realize, Hey, I started with three days a week. It, you know, transpired into five and then seven days that I was fasting. And maybe that's a little too much. And I think it's worth saying, you know, just because the type of fast you were doing when you started keto, you know, a year ago or five years ago, even worked for you, then it doesn't mean it's going to work for you forever. Um, so I know us personally, our fasting has evolved a lot. Yeah, mine fluctuates greatly based on the week, based on how I feel. Um, I definitely respond differently in different times of my menstrual cycle. So if I'm in that deep luteal phase, I have more hunger. Um, But often I will take someone that's dealing with adrenal fatigue or a really high-stressed 
season of their life and I will make them eat breakfast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's like the first thing I do. I'm like, no, like by 9 a.m. Like you can have till 9 a.m. Like you can yeah. get the kids off, you can do whatever, but like you're going to make a batch of nut flour based muffins every week and you're going to have a banana blueberry muffin with a big old slab of butter and ideally two slices of bacon. And you know, that's still light. It's not an omelet. Um, and then on the weekends, I want you to have like a brunch. Um, but often I do find that, yes, especially with adrenal fatigue, those individuals uh, do well with less of the intermittent fasting. Or if they want to call it fasting, they're just really boosting their fast and adding like 250 plus sure, calories yeah, yeah. at that sitting. Yep. And that's fine too. If you want to do almond butter with coconut, but, um, coconut butter or coconut oil and cinnamon and just stir that up in a bowl, that's reasonable. Um, but, you know, I think that the muffin is tastier if I had to choose. It sounds delicious. And yeah, um, I think personally, I'm like, I eat dinner a lot earlier now. That's another thing too, that like, if you've changed your routine, like we eat at six now, we used to not eat till like eight o'clock, but right with Noah, I'm like, Oh yeah. I remember when you guys used to make like, fun of us and we were like, you'll learn. It's oh, fine. Yeah. We'll take a 445 reservation any day now. Like, uh-huh. The earlier, the better, the more time we get. But, um, if you know, something like that has changed up in your life, I was like, why am I getting so hungry by noon? I used to fast till 1 PM with no problem. And I'm like, Oh, my dinner's two hours earlier. Right. I'm going to break my fast two hours earlier at least. Yep. And I've even seen individuals on both ends of the spectrum that have, um, elevated blood sugar level in the evening, mm-hmm. which uh, uh, is prior to them falling asleep. So it's like maybe like nine o'clock they're having, the, and maybe they eat early, like five. So it's not a postprandial um, blood sugar influence. It has nothing necessarily to do with their meal metabolism, but about four to five hours after they eat that last meal, they start to see a blood sugar climb. And I've seen individuals where it's really dynamic and it's throwing off their A1C like we covered in that episode a couple weeks back. We'll link that one as well of why is my A1C up. Um, But I've seen for those individuals too that sometimes bumping their evening meal, not later, but bumping to an evening snack, which again sounds so counterintuitive, but having a little something more, less time for the liver to work to manage your glucose levels and people waking up with a better fasting blood sugar. Yep, that's a really good point. And I've also seen with working with the CGMs, if we start to see your blood sugar going up, like you're fasted in the morning and all of a sudden you're creeping up like 11 a.m., you've had no intake. I'm like, hey, that's where we should break your fast. Yes. That's what your body is telling us. If this, you know, pattern, we see it like several days, let's play with that. You know, let's say we're doing a two-week CGM stint. Let's play with that. And inevitably we keep it much more stable. So I think that's a really good tool there too. Absolutely. Um, What about just how to know if you're over-restricting calories across the board and, and what to do there. Let's talk a little bit about like the different tracks that we have in our virtual keto program. Sure. So our tracks that we have are broken into the weight loss fast track, steady and sustained, and then heal, maintain, and gain. And so these tracks are going to be what provides a different range of calories or kilocals per kilograms. So basically calories distributed based on your body weight or for some individuals that have dynamic weight loss goals, we do an adjusted body weight. And that's all in the details of our 12-week food is medicine ketosis program. Um, So when you select your track, that's only going to tell you uh, grams of macros per category based on your total amount of calories that we have to distribute into macros, right? So we think of carbs and protein as four calories 
per gram and fat at nine calories per gram. And so basically you're going to get your pie chart or your wheel or your goals of your macros based on your locked in phase. And the phases are what influence our macro distribution. So phase one is like the tight nutritional ketosis. And we keep everyone at phase one locked in at less than 30 grams of carbs daily. Then phase 1.5 is where Becky and I have been living for probably the last two plus years. Maybe it's been three, four for me now um, after I stopped spitting out my apple pieces. And uh, then phase two is where we're really looking at more of just a low glycemic lifestyle, probably not making ketones in phase two unless you are a really intensive athlete. Um, And or this is where we'd be going for a carb cycle approach. So if we're thinking of our tracks, you know, a lot of people want to go right away into the weight loss fast track because they want to lose weight and they want to do it fast. But I often am cautioning people that, you know, if again, you are under high stress, if you've recently had a child, if you're dealing with an autoimmune condition and you're on an immunosuppressant, uh, if you have Hashimoto's or some level of thyroiditis, inflamed thyroid gland, or even just hypothyroidism, you experience chronic fatigue, have other signs of stress imbalance, or you're taking on ex- excess exercise or high intensity exercise, then this is not the track for you. This would be likely over restrictive unless you fit those parameters and you have more than 50 pounds of weight to lose and you're doing something proactively about those stressors like you're taking sleep support (laughs) you're doing all the adaptogens and all the things and you're going to make a shift from your spin class to walking and yoga for a three-month window Um, so really we want the people in the weight loss fast track to be those that are really focusing on nutritional ketosis as their dynamic stressor in that chapter of their life and then for the majority of people actually we're really better candidates for this steady and sustained protocol. Um, so if, you, if two of those things that I mentioned are relevant to you, then you probably want to be in steady and sustained. This is just going to liberate calories some, but again, you could still stay in that phase one and that phase one is still the macro distribution to be in that tighter nutritional ketosis. Totally. I feel like I'm constantly like prying fast track away from people. I'm like, no, like you answered yes to like four of those questions and you are the type of person who thinks that you could take on one more thing and that's why you want to do it, but it's also why you shouldn't do it. Exactly. And and sometimes it's like, sometimes I won't even in clinic just tell them I'm changing their track. I'm just like, we're going to modify your macros and I just add things. Uh Uh (laughs) It's like, we're going to up this, this, and this. We're going to have you eat more protein and more fat. And make sure that you add a 250 calorie snack here. And okay, we just yep. moved you to steady and sustained. Yep. Didn't even know it. <laughs> and I will say also, you know, again, you know, these algorithms or calculations are just that. You have to live it, feel it. And it does require some tracking to know, okay, am I getting in what these numbers are? So there's that auditing information that's necessary to understand how you feel in these protocols tracks. Um, But with that being said, you know, there is some overlap. Like the lowest range of study and sustain is within a shadow of the highest range of fast track. Totally. And, you know, obviously as we get to these ranges. And so you might find yourself as a hybrid of the weight loss fast track and the study sustain. And that may be more... More harmonious for your body and rock on that might work beautiful yep yep and we talked a little bit about kind of some of the supplement tools to um, mitigate you know the stressor itself of, of keto on the body or to mitigate I guess other stressors that we put on top of that stressor um, but any other favorite tools to 
support there if you are choosing the fast track? Yeah. So we talked about calm and clear, which I think is really key because that regulates cortisol metabolism. And again, if you're under higher stress or if you're stressing your body through tight keto and calorie restriction, that's a phase one fast tracker, definitely calm and clear. I would say at a minimum of like four capsules daily. So you might do one at rise, one midday and two at bed. And that might be beautiful for some people like me that are trying to run the world. You might need to be taken seven to nine daily. And that's just fine too, because at least you're not combusting. So that's what I tell myself. Uh, Adaptogen boost is one that I mentioned as well. And that's one that I personally take two at rise to midday. Um, that would be more for those that are like stress fatigued and need a little bit of a pick me up or a resilient surge. Um, whereas the calm and clear would be more for the, um, kind of, uh, stressed and wired individuals and then, um, kind of partnering with the stress formulas. I mentioned GABA calm, which would be more for impulse. Um, that's going to be that neurological inhibitory compound, which you do make more GABA again with nutritional ketosis. And so that in itself is why nutritionally ketosis, uh, is going to be anxiolytic or anxiety reducing, but GABA calm could also help to take out that rumination or that fight or flight surge. And then relax and regulate, I think of actually more outside of the stress story, but definitely as an essential in nutritional ketosis, because this has magnesium bisglycinate and myo-inositol. So remembering that relax and regulate is not just a magnesium supplement, although it has the most powerful form of magnesium, which is important for muscle cramps, um, especially like leg cramps and the stress and tension that we hold in our body. But the myo-inositol is in itself supportive of depth and quality of sleep. It itself reduces the stress response in the body. It supports our hormone balance in both men and women. Um, So a lot of that like safety, regulatory, parasympathetic activity is fueled by the myo-inositol. And that's why that's that relax part and then regulate part. Um, We're really actually not just regulating your bowels with the magnesium. We're actually looking at regulating your hormonal response mechanisms, which extends far beyond our sexual hormones, really of our entire stress hormone story as well. So relax and regulate is probably the most non-negotiable for nutritional ketosis for the long haul because it really harnesses for sure. And that's why we include that in our ketosis essentials bundle along with boost and burn. And boost and burn would be the go-to if you aren't getting that keto high or you've been doing keto for a long time and you're at a stall or not getting results or all of a sudden not producing ketones and you're checking with your mojo and not getting um, data there. This has L-carnitine and ribose. And um, it is a great tool for energy production, but L-carnitine drives fat as fuel and aids in ketone production. Um, So that's one that gets depleted often from long-term nutritional ketosis. So it'll help to get you in and also keep you in and thriving. And you can do a teaspoon or two first thing in the morning um, with the boost and burn. And that's a great tool for energy and body fat loss. Yes. Totally. So making sure that you're layering that stuff on top of, you know, maybe moving from one track to the other. Let's just talk a little bit, just in general, if you're getting like burned out entirely on, you know, calorie restriction, do we liberate that? Do we, you know, stop tracking calories? What do we do next? So, you know, again, you might switch your track and then see how you 
feel Mm -hmm. in that shift. You might also, if it's too neurotic, again, it could be as simple as adding a a standard amount of calorie snack and that could rotate. So like I I keep saying 250, I feel like that's a really good starting point. So you might start with a daily extra 250 calories. So keep eating in your style, but daily focus on a snack that's comprised of about that amount of calories and and fat and protein uh, focused, but it could include even a little bit of carbs. So it might be half an apple with two tablespoons of almond butter. It might be five olives and an ounce of cheese and some slices of salami. Um, It might also be doing the peanut butter chocolate gelatin um, dessert and doing that as an 8 p.m. snack or something like that. Um, So that's one way I think if you're getting too burned out in numbers is, yes, it's number focused to get that extra 250, but to focus on like a five version of what this type of abundance add-in would look like and then, you know, where that would be most welcomed in your day. So it could be earlier in your morning as like a pre-fast breaking, maybe not a full meal, um, or it could be maybe in the evening or midday um, whenever you're feeling that that would be welcomed. Totally. Um, And then we could also, you know, shift our phase a little bit. Yes. And that would be more based on carb restriction versus calorie restriction. Right. And so over time, again, you know, as the body is more metabolically uh, flexible, which that concept really looks at how much insulin resistance do you have? How much body fat do you have? What's your movement like? What's your stress uh, signals like? And when we take all that into account, you know, if someone's at a pretty healthy body fat and pretty physically active, they're probably going to do better in a phase 1.5 versus a phase one. And that seems very true to me. Um, I can vacillate into phase one, but if I go more than like five days in a row in phase one where I'm getting less than 30 grams of carbs, uh, I get really anxious and I get irritable and I get bitey. And when my ketones get too high, which that pairs with my ketone production, when my ketones get too high, I get those same symptoms. And so I know from back in the day when I was you know, playing so much with pricking my finger and seeing, you know, anytime my ketones would be borderline above two, um, wasn't feeling very balanced. I would be okay. I could thrive. I could surge out, um, workload or, you know, feel like I'm cleaning the closets and kind of speedy. Um, but that's not sustainable place for me to live. And so I find that when I live more in a phase 1.5, Um, I, A, have less need for dynamic carb cycling. So that's an interesting evolution as well that I've kind of shifted with my carb intake. I'll still do a carb cycle of some sorts, but it's not as refractory of a dynamic because I'm also not as restricted as Mm -hmm. I had been historically. And so sometimes I'll organically forget to carb cycle and I notice that my cycle length is still full. Um, I notice that I'm still ovulating. Whereas back in the day when I was in that tight phase one, if I didn't carb cycle, I wouldn't ovulate. And I also would have a cycle of like 24 days instead of that full 28 days. So, you know, that's something to kind of play with as you evolve and you take into account your metabolic flexibility. When we're talking about phase 1.5, whereas phase one is keeping you tight under that 30 grams of carbs, phase 1.5 really is liberated in the world of non-starchy vegetables. So you're not, you know, sticking to like a half cup of cooked veg and two to three cups of greens. You could have veg in various meals. You also can incorporate more of like the nut flour baked goods and whole food based sweeteners, uh, which we incorporate in really moderate to small amounts, but they go very far. Um, Like there's two tablespoons of raw and filtered honey in my thumbprint cookies, for instance, you know, so some of these types of things can work into the diet 
diet and still produce ketones depending on that metabolic flexibility. And phase 1.5 ends up looking like more like 30 to 60 grams of carbs, maybe 30 to 55 or something like that. And some of us, that's a very close number, I understand. But um, liberating on non-starchy vegetables, incorporating small amounts of starchy vegetables and or fruit and um, playing with baked goods with whole food sweeteners, not those non-caloric sweeteners, which we're not a fan of in any phase or any protocol or any human body. Yep. That's kind of where I live as well right now, the 1.5. And you had times, like we talked about in some of your pregnancy episodes, like first trimester, you were in a probably deeper phase one where it was like toast for everything. A lot of toast, right? There was a toast phase. There's toast. Yeah. There and toast. and you know, that's when insulin levels are really surging because you're trying to grow a baby. And so if you stay too tight of carbs in that first trimester, that A, maybe isn't the most serving to a healthy pregnancy, but also um, that's where we can get more nausea and that's where also, you know, we can see uh, more blood sugar dynamics. And then it, it often very organically goes back into like a tight phase 1.5 um, and that's where you can maintain an, into a therapeutic light therapeutic ketosis throughout pregnancy with great health and happy outcomes. Yeah. Whenever I tested, and it wasn't very frequent, but I would still be producing ketones most of the time. So, you know, yeah. you, pregnancy has that added bonus. Yeah, this is true. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, within our um, virtual foodist medicine keto program, we also have a, it's called a non-restrictive protocol. Um, and so this would be, you know, no restriction in terms of calories kind of more intuitive eating type phase um i think you know it's worth noting if you don't measure something you can't manage it so if you literally have no idea of what calories are are going into your body and you have the goal of weight loss i think that can be a really slippery slope and you're likely not going to get the desired outcomes right Right. So yeah, if you have weight loss as a goal, likely the non-restrictive protocol is not for you. Um, You know, we really probably want to be more in a protocol where we have direct numbers of macros, but this is just for individuals that have dealt with a history of disordered eating or haven't succeeded with ketosis. And so we basically like open the world of have fats ad lib, um, no restriction on non-starchy veggies. Um, And then we look at like meeting a minimum of protein intake um, but otherwise, and, and it may include carbs, but we do try to keep carbs tight. If, again, you want to get into ketosis, you can't do it without carb right, restriction. Right. Um, so it's a little bit of a dance in language there, but it does allow more of like a cyclical approach to ketosis um, or daily, including a carb choice in the evening, maybe coming from like butternut squash or rainbow carrots or sweet potatoes, etc. All right. So before we go on to our keto myths and we'll do these kind of rapid fire, let's just have a quick word for our mid-roll sponsor for this episode, Nutrisense. All right. And we have already been nerding out about how valuable a CGM is. And (laughs) Nutrisense provides you with real-time glucose data and a CGM monitor, which lasts for 14 days, along with a phone app that helps you to combine and visualize your glucose data with all of your daily activities. So it takes into account your sleep, your stress, your exercise, your food. And then you do get a coach with this that provides you personalized recommendations on how to optimize or improve your health. So NutriSense essentially takes the guesswork from the equation since you get to see your real-time response to all of these variables instead of a generic umbrella recommendation. Um, The beauty of NutriSense is that CGMs are still only available through a prescription 
prescription and often very difficult to come by if you are someone who's not a type 1 diabetic or even um, diabetic at all in any way, shape, or form. So for those of us that are maybe dealing with pre-diabetes or just looking at being health-minded or looking at understanding the connection of our blood sugar and stress and metabolism and so much more, NutriSense provides us direct CGM to your doorstep. Um, when you use the code AllieRD, this will give you $30 off a monthly subscription plan. And um, this will allow you the opportunity to really learn about your blood sugar and how that is an expression of whole body health. So from nerding out on different techniques of how to manage your blood sugar while you sleep, like I said, maybe it's a meditation app, maybe it is an evening snack, uh, maybe it's three calm and clear, you name it, uh, you will get to see real-time information and it's quite empowering. You can also go to my URL, which is Nutrisense.io slash AllieMillerRD. And when you go to that website, if you scroll down to the bottom, the listeners of the Naturally Nourished podcast could also do an option instead of subscription and save that $30, they could also do the option of getting a one-time meter use for $175. Um, so if you'd prefer to do that, that's available to you as well with savings. And that's all done at Nutrisense.io slash AllieMillerRD, or you use the code AllieRD on their website if you'd like to save the $30 on your subscription. Okay. So we've covered a lot in the world of like, are you restricting keto? Any just closing thoughts there before we go into rapid fire on myths. I think just reiterating the concepts of, again, like protein is a minimum. You need protein to prevent muscle catabolism and maintain metabolic activity. You also need protein, like we said, for hair health and for structural health and for gut integrity and maintaining immune function and all the things. So protein is a bare minimum. Um, We think of carbs as a maximum, like keeping your carbs within the range to make ketones, and that's based on your metabolic flexibility. So you want to start tight with your carb control, and then once you're therapeutically producing ketones, you can play with liberation, or if you're seeing imbalance with ketosis, that's where you'd play with carb cycling to purposefully kick yourself out of ketosis and rebound right back in. And then we think of fat as like the lever or dial based on satiety. So that's the one that has the most flexibility based on the days. Um, We do know that when we add fat to things, we produce ketones with more ease. But again, we're not looking at a report card. We're looking at results. So we kind of want to think of adjusting the fat down if we're looking for more weight loss or adjusting the fat up if we're dealing with hunger and needing more satiety and hormone balance because you need that fat to produce hormones as well. Yes. I think that's a really good point of like not chasing the number. And you know, I have a lot of clients who are like, oh, my ketones went down. What should I do? And I'm like, wait, how do you feel in your body? Like all of the things that we just talked about sound like pretty balanced. I'm not really worried about that number right now, unless we're looking for therapeutic levels of, of ketones. Right. For sure. Yeah. Um, and I think we've covered like how keto has evolved for us, you know, personally. Um, I wanted to shout out episode 237 because yes. I think that's a really good one too. And, and um, that's called Mediterranean yes. keto, where we talk about, you know, the phyto compounds, antioxidants, and not demonizing saturated fats, but maybe moving away from excessive saturated fat and incorporating more of the oleic acid and the unsaturated whole food forms like olive oil and such in the diet. Um, and then episode 153 is called Metabolic Flexibility, the New Age of Keto. And that's where we really nerd out a little bit deeper on, you know, some of these uh, phases and such. Okay. 
um, and, and maybe best ways to know how do I tap into this? How do I know if I'm over restricting? How do I know, you know, how much is too little, how much is too much? Yeah, I really love journaling. And this is something I'd recommend to all listeners as we're in the new year. Um, I love journaling. I, I love the like concept of journaling, like pen and paper for sure. But I do as a kind of biochem nerd and like science minded individual really like journaling in the sense of like a Google doc where you can find keywords and you can look at history and trends. So even just doing like a weekly brain dump where you're checking in with your body's feedback, you're noting the dynamic change. So like maybe it's like the date and it's like I'm doing the the keto fast track and I'm going to do three days of fasting. So you kind of put your little like plan of action and then at the end of that week you reflect on it. Like I, I felt great once I was making ketones three days in. Um, I had no hunger. I slept like a rock. My bowels were fabulous. I had no bloating. This is good. And then you keep chugging on that and keep checking in. And then you might find yourself at seven weeks in saying, you know, I'm experiencing a little bit of midday hunger. Abdomen's gurgling. I'm going to play with liberating to phase 1.5. Or I'm going to play with adding fat to my morning beverage instead of just tea or coffee. Um, And so the only way to know how your body's responding is by keeping notes on your modifiable variables and then what the feedback from your body is. And I think it's really empowering because you might find yourself then at week 12 saying, what was I doing six weeks ago because it was doing so well and what I just tried did not work well and now I'm Mm -hmm. feeling lost. The only way you know is kind of going back into your own archives. And that's where Becky and I on individual consultations are happy to support you in that process and journey. And I have almost all of my patients, I mean, I ask them all to, I'm not saying that they all do it, but I have all of them keep this type of a brain dump because when you talk to me every six weeks in clinic, I want to know what happened to you that second week and that fourth week and what happened when you started this formula or what happened when you modified your exercise or maybe I had you incorporate 20 grams of carbs and 20 grams of protein post-workout versus just the protein because I wanted to refill your glycogen stores after you did a glycolytic exercise and I was seeing that muscle fatigue as an unfair favorable feedback that you were having and I gave you a challenge of doing so. So, you know, I think that journaling and feedback is huge. Um, You might want to include some objective measurements in there. So maybe a weekly weight, maybe twice a week measure of blood ketones. Um, Of course, if you have a CGM, that could be helpful to really nerd out on the data there. Um, And uh, checking in on some glucose levels of, you know, what's happening at your fasting blood sugar or your post meals. Again, Most of our audience and um, people who have done our 12-week food is medicine ketosis program, the postprandial stuff, which is the two hours after meal feed, is always rock and roll. It's troubleshooting the fasting glucose and the evening glucose going up, which is Uh often, again, the individuals that are over-restricted and sometimes just lightening up on either the total calories from your phase or the total carbs and going into that phase 1.5 or the protocol shift from the fast track to steady and sustained is enough to bring down those non-food blood sugar levels, which at the end of the day, spikes in glucose or variability in glucose creates oxidative stress. So you want to be mindful of getting your body into a safe, consistent space. Totally. I've seen some really great fancy spreadsheets um, over the years of of people's journal and export. Um, Let's just close out with some rapid fire. Okay, um, rapid fire styles. We're going to try for rapid fire. Yes, I got Um, this. So number one, keto will cause hypothyroidism. Okay, so the ketogenic diet 
in a stressed individual and a calorie restricted individual can throw off the thyroid and it's not the production of ketones themselves so it's not that ketosis causes this this is the fact that calorie restriction um, especially if the individual is not meeting their protein threshold is going to over time lower the free t3 level which is the active form of our metabolic kind of gas for our thyroid. Um, we can also see that uh, TSH and T4 can be influenced and we often will see TSH being influenced by stress. We can see reverse T3 going up if cortisol levels are elevated. Um, and so in individuals that are high stress, this is really the area that we're looking to manage. So I look at the thyroid optimizer formula for anyone that's hypothyroid and doing nutritional ketosis. It's a great tool that has a good mineral blend. So you're getting the iodine there. Um, you're also going to be getting selenium and zinc and chromium, which aid with metabolism. We're getting some adaptogenic herbs in there and also forskolin, which has been shown clinical benefits of body fat metabolism. So especially if looking for some weight loss um, or just maintaining optimal um, and doing nutritional ketosis, I think the thyroid optimizer at one to two daily is a great way to ensure that we are getting also that um, uh, tyrosine, which is the amino acid that makes levothyroxine or the thyroid hormone itself. Um, so it's not that making ketones interferes with your thyroid. It's that if you are fasting too much and not meeting your protein goals and not eating enough calories throughout the day, that your body basically perceives that you're not fed. So it reduces the gas on your thyroid gland and your T3 starts to go down or the reverse T3 starts to go up, which interferes with the function of T3. It's basically a break on that gas pedal because of the cortisol going up as a fight or flight response to over restriction. Got it. And not saying like carbs are good or bad for the thyroid necessarily nope. um that you know it's it's a good thing to measure and ensure you know that you're not seeing that reverse t3 creep up um, yeah and with the hair loss just yeah. to note that when i see people with hair loss if they are meeting their protein goals and i feel like their calories are okay i always have them check their thyroid yeah, totally. of course and then yeah. ferritin would be the next go-to yeah. and um, we are seeing more of that post-viral uh, syndrome, and that's why I'm also putting a lot of people on the B-complex yeah. these days to get that full suite with the biotin and the pantothenate and yep. such. Yep. Okay. Keto caused my cholesterol to go up, therefore I just shouldn't do keto. I think this is a really common one. Yes. So I'm often talking to clients when they're like in a tight keto state, and they're going to get their lipids run, and I said, well... If you are shedding body fat, there is more fat circulating through your bloodstream. We have to know that. Also, if you're eating more fat, there's more fat circulating through your bloodstream. But for most people, a ketogenic diet is going to lead to actual improvements in their cholesterol. Um, there will be transient rises that may be unfavorable during active or rapid body fat loss. So we can see an LDL increase, which that could freak out some GPs or cardiologists. Um, but we're often going to see a great, like 10 to 15% increase on HDL, which is our protective cholesterol, which brooms our vessels. And um, that LDL tends to stabilize or regulate once body fat active metabolism is reducing. So if someone's in more of a maintenance mode, I often will say, hey, let's be aggressive and then let's like liberate the calories a little bit and kind of hang for four weeks before you run your lipids or sure, at least three yeah, yeah. weeks before you run your lipids. Maybe do a 10-day detox, then let's kind of hang and then let's get your cardiometabolic panel run to see where you are at more of a maintenance mode. Obviously, for health outcomes and cardiometabolic 
cardiovascular health, losing the body fat is superior to that fluctuation we see in LDL. And we're really not seeing an unfavorable impact, even if LDL does go up short term because the body's surging fat loss, right? We're often not seeing an unfavorable influence on our small dense LDL. Those are often the large buoyant LDL molecules. So a well-formulated ketogenic diet can absolutely be heart healthy. Again, you might want to tune into that Mediterranean keto um, episode and also doing the 10-day detox. Uh, A ketogenic diet should increase HDL, overall regulate LDL by reducing the small dense particle size. All right. How about this one? Keto can cause a loss of bone mineral density. Yeah, there's right now no substantial evidence on keto and bone health. There was a small study of children with epilepsy, um, and they found that active children had lower bone mineral density on keto compared to less active children. But I have to note again, if it was epilepsy, this is a four to one high fat to ultra restricted protein diet. Um, And also many of the children in that study were on anti-epileptic drugs and that in itself can decrease bone mineral density. Uh, So that really doesn't apply to other groups of people like adults, teens, um, and you know, any age range without epilepsy off of those drugs and eating protein um, because we see that the efficacy of a high protein, low carbohydrate diet uh, for weight loss um, can be very beneficial and bone density not being unfavorably impacted. And I think it's important to note, like we're all losing bone density and especially the population that tends to do our, our keto program. Like unfortunately from age 30 on, we're really seeing a decline. So, you know, potentially adding in like our osteofactors, that was such a big aha when I saw my calcium on my micronutrient panel was severely deficient after having a baby. I'm like, oh, I wonder why. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So like keeping on top of that and staying on top of um, resistance training, I think is huge for bone density as well. Yep. Awesome. All right. Keto will cause adrenal fatigue. Okay. So just like the thyroid, there's no evidence that ketosis inhibits adrenal function by any means. Um, However, if you are not getting enough sodium, um, there is a lot of that, you know, electrolyte uh, focus with nutritional ketosis because the word carbohydrate holds the word hydrate in it. And so when you reduce your carbs, you will have a shift of uh, fluid and water in the body. That's part of that whooshing of the weight loss. But that also means that electrolytes can become de stabilized or you can get um, a loss of electrolytes. So that's where the relax and regulate is key. That's where Redmond real salt is key. Um, We know that the aldosterone hormone in the adrenals requires sodium to provide that sodium restriction and that that aids in adrenal activity through the renin angiotensin aldosterone system. Um, So the big thing is just making sure that you're getting ample salt, stay salty while you're doing keto. And this is also the population of you that should be doing the adaptogen boost and calm and clear and GABA calm and relax and regulate to bubble wrap if you're under high stress and need to give your adrenals some love. And if you have known adrenal fatigue, this is where um, the adrenal support would also come in the mix. So I didn't fully rapid fire those. And I think those are all we can get to today. (laughs) So uh, I hope that you all had some good aha moments. Um, Also exciting announcement, just an early foreshadowing announcement. We are going to do one live 12-week food is medicine ketosis program. I think that we talked about doing that in the fall, right, Becky? So like 22... 
Um, it, it was either in the summer or the fall. I kind of forget in this moment, but it's coming. It's not coming in the first or second quarter. So definitely grab the archive now. If you haven't taken it yet, you're going to learn so much and stay tuned for our 12 week food as medicine meal plans, which you can take advantage of starting today for the early bird saving 20% off. So that takes it down to like less than $3 a week of a grocery list, um, all of your meals and snacks and a weekly challenge to stay accountable and ensure that you're getting enough variety in your diet. I think that'd be a really great way to check your abundance um, and just see like, whoa, I'm eating all these foods and things are working better. What was I doing wrong before? (laughs) So if it starts with food versus numbers, I think that works too. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.